Welcome in everyone to a new episode of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damon here with David this week. Uh, Matt, Miss and Matt had to do it on a different day this week, so uh, not able to get him in. But we're just going to do a short uh, Hall of Fame talk only episode. Uh, we had the Hall of Fame vote was announced uh, yesterday as we're recording this. Uh, so we're going to give you what our ballots would have been had we been able to record beforehand uh, and then look forward to what the actual vote looked like and then look forward to the 2024 ballot and give a little discussion on that. But before we jump into everything, David, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. It's snowing here in Chicago. So, uh, you know, just taking it easy today. Uh, worked from home. So it was nice and uh, we'll be ready to, uh, you know, get spring coming around the corner here. Uh, I know we're getting kind of close, but at least now we can think about the Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, think about, uh, you know, kind of historical baseball for for an afternoon. But uh, before we get started, how are you doing, Damian? I'm doing all right. Had a uh, one of my best friends from high school got married this week, so it was a little hectic throughout the weekend and the last couple of days with with that uh, that whole situation going on, but. Uh, you know, glad to be back and talking about some uh, some Hall of Fame voting and how ridiculously dumb some of these voters are, or most of these voters are. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been good. And let's go ahead and go ahead and start this. Sounds good. So Scott Rowland gets elected to the to the Hall of Fame, and he is the only one uh, from the the twenty twenty three ballot getting elected. Uh, but Fred McGriff was elected by the players committee, um, which included Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and a bunch of the guys that were on the ballot last year. So McGriff was the only one to get elected from that committee. And then uh, Scott Rowland gets elected by the writers on this ballot. We haven't really discussed it, um, but there felt like kind of an opening here for some guys to get elected that maybe weren't as expected before when you had Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling kind of clogging up the talk of the ballot. And this year it was all about Roland, Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, and Andrew Jones really were the, the, the primary four, I think, that were kind of on everybody's mind. Oh, I guess Billy Wagner too, um, to, to see who would, who would make the Hall of Fame. And um, there for a while, it looked like Todd Helton was trending to get in, but ultimately he falls short and Scott Rowland gets into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it was. It's been really weird this whole voting process. Um, you know, and even Carlos Beltran with his first year on the ballot, um, there was mm-hmm. probably a strong case before the the uh, the whole Houston Astros sign stealing scandal. You could make the case for first ballot Hall of Fame for Beltran, but uh, with that character issue, um, you know, in voters' minds recently, uh, it seemed to hurt his vote there. But you know, like you mentioned with with Kent, Andrew Jones, Wagner. Um, you know, Helton, Roland, you really felt like there was probably a handful of guys that had a good chance to get in this year. Um, Roland did hit the mark at the 76.3 mark. Helton just barely missed it. You know, he's at 72%. You have to hit 75. I would assume he probably is able to pick up the votes next year, but with a crowded ballot next year, it'll be interesting to see how that affects uh, some of these votes. But, you know, it's just head scratching a guy like Jeff Kent, you know, at, 46 and a half percent of the votes on the final year on the ballot, you know, isn't able to, to get enough votes. I mean, I think he was trending in the right direction the past couple of years. And we thought, especially with, you know, the, the handful of names, you know, kind of falling off the ballot from last year, either by 
by less percentage of votes or, you know, yearing out on the ballot, you, there was seemed to be a strong case for Kent to be able to get in. That's not the case. And he'll have to wait for that. Uh, I think it was the modern era committee yep. um, in 2025, I believe is, is when he's going to be eligible for that uh, is what I saw. So overall, I'm happy Roland got in. Um, you know, he's one of the ones that we would have had. David and I have pretty much identical ballots uh, about who we thought should have get, got in here, but uh, head scratching to see some of these names and the vote totals they got, but happy to see Roland get in and, um, you know, uh, through the writers and then with, with McGriff through the, uh, the modern era committee. Um, he's a name that been a hot commodity for a couple years now anyways. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty good to see him get in. Let's uh, let's jump into Scott Rowland a little bit since he is the, the elected hall of fame member. Um, and Scott Rowland ends up with, um, pulling up his his baseball reference so i can get his number he was a seven-time all-star eight-time gold glove winner a member of the 2006 world series winning st louis cardinals team he also went to the world series in 2004 um where the red the cardinals lost to the red sox now his best season was that 2004 season where he put up nine wins above replacement and i'm gonna that, that 2004 season was super impressive because that was a team featuring Albert Pujols, who I believe won MVP that year, uh, featuring Jim Edmonds and uh, among other, you know, really talented Cardinals players that were just absolute thorn in the side of the Cubs. Scott Rowland had the most war of any of them that season. He was just as dominant as Pujols and Edmonds um, and instrumental in leading the Cardinals to the World Series that year. Ultimately, they go down to the kind of the team of destiny, the Red Sox. But, you know, know, Roland had a 34 home run season as a third base, you know, the best defensive third baseman in baseball and eight gold gloves. That doesn't tell the whole story, but every time you watch him play third base and, you know, he was the type of guy who just is a vacuum cleaner out there. He made every play. He kind of reminds me of Nolan Arenado now in in terms of defensive reputation. that, That was just the case from when he came into the league until he retired as a Cincinnati red in like 2012. Yeah. And you know, for, for all the people that the war number, um, you know, signifies hall of fame or close to hall of fame number, he's at just about 70 career war. And mm-hmm. if you look through his entire career, there's only what one, two, three, four, five, five seasons that he played over 150 games. Like he has multiple seasons in here where under a hundred or just above that 100 game mark, his, his counting stats could have been so much higher than than what he was able to show already. And being that best defensive, you know, third baseman throughout that time, winning the eight gold gloves, having the impact that he was able to have and being elite defensively pretty much through the entire end of his career. Usually you see those people fall off towards the end. I know his last season, it, it was a little bit of a drop off there, but that's at the age 37. I mean, other than that, you know, he's still in his second to last year at 36 had a 6.3 defensive value per fan graphs. Just very, very impressive. Um, he's a guy who should have got in a lot earlier, but it's, you know, glad that at the end of the day, he was able to, to make that jump. And I believe I saw something that said from the first year they got onto the ballot to the last year, he's the one that's made the biggest jump into getting into the hall of fame. I believe he debuted at only 10% or like 10.2 on his first year on the ballot. So uh, was this year nine for Roland or is this 10? Um, 
Oh, man. I think it was 10. Was it 10? Well, you were well, 20, 2012. No, 20, no, it's year five, right? Because 2012, it was only year five. 20 to okay. 6, 2017. So. Okay, so he wasn't – it's he 10 shot years up. since he retired. That's Right, right. And, okay. and oh, I've seen a lot of – Scott Rowland didn't remind me of a Hall of Famer when he played. And I pushed back on that wholeheartedly, right? I mean, I, I it's funny because watching that 2004 Cardinals team obliterate my 2004 Cubs team, I – I had a just an obvious sense that it was like watching three Hall of Famers play, right? It was Pujols, Edmonds, Roland. Jim Edmonds got 5%ed off of the ballot, and it took yeah. Roland, what, five years to get in. And now there's question that Roland was even deserving to begin with. And I'm just, you know, it's always knowing that Scott Roland was like this guy you could just pencil in as the gold glove winner at third base. It, it, you know, it's he's the kind of guy that was so reliable for so long. And even though he did stumble into injuries, he was still able to put up successful seasons late into his career, like in 20 in 2011 with the Reds where he hit or 2010 with the Reds where he hit 20 home runs as a 35 year old. Um, and, 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 you know, he had a career slash line of 281, 364, 490, which was good enough for a 122 WRC plus. But remember he played from 1996 through 2004 where his WRC plus was reduced, but this is not a guy who was under any sort of steroid accusation playing in a, the era with a ton of those, you know, Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and all those guys who do have those steroid accusations. Um, you know, having done this cleanly and with the defensive reputation that Roland has, I, I just, I'm, I'm floored that we don't, think of him as an obvious hall of famer you know and obviously he wasn't even you know he was often overlooked by chipper jones who was in you know first ballot hall of famer and some of those guys he and chipper played almost the exact same number of years and had in roland was a better defender than chipper the whole time yeah the the one argument that i always hate about or around mlb hall of fame voting time is are we talking about the Hall of Fame or are we talking about the Hall of Very Good? That argument pisses me off more than anything mm-hmm. because the the um, the guidelines or, or for lack of better terms, what I'm trying to look for, for what a Hall of Fame player looks like is so much different between what player, what position and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're talking about Fred McGriff here. Who everyone, if you listen to it, everyone's saying Fred McGriff should have no doubt been a Hall of Famer, right? Uh-huh. No no doubt should have been in the Hall of Fame through the committee and he had to get through the modern era ballot. And everyone uses war so much. He's a 56% war or 57% war guy, uh, you know, close to 500 homers with, you know, 134 WRC plus. And then you get, you know, that that's sure it's a really good Hall of Fame, uh, you know, candidacy. And then you go to a guy like Kent. I know I'm rolling on about the Kent thing, but uh, you know, with in his career, 56% WAR or 56 WAR there with 377 homers. But as a second baseman, those numbers are very, very equal. If you would consider that to a first baseman, same level of category, right? We jump to Roland, 70% WAR still has over 300 homers, and then you factor in the eight years of Gold Glove defense. Scott Roland was a very good player but he's also a hall of fame caliber player yeah. it's the reason why he had he sure he battled the injuries but he still had longevity he still played 17 years in mm-hmm. the major leagues you know the the longevity aspects what hurts a guy like andrew jones 
but Andrew Jones has all the gold gloves and stuff to back it up as well. But Roland had the the ability to, even though he had injuries, played many years at a high level defensively and was still pretty good offensively to warrant this, you know, this hall of fame induction, the, the whole hall of good thing, like what people say with Todd Helton, it's, it very much irritates me. Yep. Uh, you know, every single year we come up about this because MLB hall of fame voting is the most strict hall of fame voting yep. out of all of the major sports here. And, we everyone has to say this small ballot or or uh, anonymous blank ballots all the time where you have a ballot here that has well over I'm not say well over but has at least 10 hall of famers that should be or that are on this ballot and probably you can make a case 15 of these guys on this mm-hmm. ballot should be hall of famers and you have some people getting 5% off other people getting 10% of the vote who should be in you know, and I understand not everyone can make it on the first year on yeah. the ballot, but this ballot is just going to keep getting more stacked and stacked as we're coming up on it. And we'll talk about the 24, 24 ballot here in just a little bit and why that is. But the Hall of Very Good argument just irritates me. And I know I've rambled on about that. No, no worries. I, I think the hall, you look at who who went off of this list, right? And and the pe- some of the people who are still on but probably don't have a chance to make it, like Tory Hunter, who's got six point nine percent of the vote, uh, who's probably not going to make it next year. Um, Tory Hunter is the type of guy who could who is probably like a Hall of Very Good guy, right? And then you look at some of these other guys that that end up off the list, right? R. A. Dickey, Matt Kane, Jacoby Ellsbury, your boy Andre Ethier, right? Uh, you know Jared Weaver, Jason Worth. Those are guys that we're going to look back on or like even Mike Napoli, who's a coach with the Cubs right now, like Mike Napoli at first base, like, oh, yeah, I remember watching Mike Napoli play, but Mike Napoli was not a Hall of Famer, right? Right. He's a Hall of very good guy. Those are good players. They all deserve, you know, their their glance, their their look, but you're not letting those guys into the Hall of Fame. We're not talking about, you know, guys who played really good for four years and had four decent years after that. And that was it. Right. We're talking about guys who played for 17 years who were, you know, won eight gold gloves who hit 300 home runs, who hit 500 home runs in Jeff Kent's case, set the record for most home runs hit by a second baseman. Right. Andrew Jones set the record for most defensive war by a center fielder. Right. Like you've got these, these guys who have these superlatives that are so much greater even without like, and, and this is specifically without the steroid and negative connotations that some of these other guys have, you know, you've got Bobby Abreu who's got like a 400 career on base percentage and, and, and you're, you're letting guys in like Vladimir Guerrero who had a lesser on base percentage and lesser, you know, you know, to overall numbers and lesser overall war. But because Vlad is very popular, he gets in, but Bobby Abreu is, is basically, uh, you know, dead in the water at this point in terms of a hall of fame case. It, the the frust you're right it's very frustrating because the guys who are not going to get in and i'm looking ahead towards the next ballot right we're we're t- looking at some guys that are very familiar probably with our viewers is if you're looking at like david wright matt holiday bartolo colon adrian gonzalez jose bautista these guys are all probably not going to get into the hall of fame but mm-hmm. those are all hall of very good guys that are if they did get into the hall of fame i certainly wouldn't be upset no i wouldn't argue for it necessarily but i wouldn't be upset about it because those are guys that I'd love to honor. Um, but those are guys that are Hall of Very Good. You're talking about Todd Helton, who is MVP candidate going against Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in the 90s and early 2000s. 
you know, who was hitting like 350 at Coors. And you could say, yeah, sure, Coors. But he also had like a 160 WRC plus that time in a, in a steroid era in in the steroid era in Coors. He was getting 60 percent above league average. Like Todd Helton is a surefire Hall of Famer in my mind. But you're you're seeing this Hall of Very Good stuff. And it's just it's not equivalent. Yeah, and here's the thing that I saw on a Todd Hilton one, and and we'll let this wrap up the roll, and we'll jump to McGriff here after this. But Todd Hilton hit 287 with an 855 OPS away from Coors Field. Yep, and still has the adjusted 132 WRC plus. Mm-hmm. Like the Coors Field, that is also another one, and that's and that, that's his I, career I, numbers too. I, Hilton was not as good after his prime. Right. And the, I hate the whole Coors Field argument as well, as long as, as well as the DH, like all these arguments. First of all, why are we penalizing somebody for their home field when it's a right. home field that's in the major leagues? Like, it doesn't matter if he played in Coors Field. He had to play there. That's where he that's the team he was on. Like, yep. stop, stop, uh, you know, hurt or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stop using that against penalizing. Him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stop using that against him because of that. Who cares if somebody was a DH? That's a position that we have in the game. If they're the best DH or if they're a, a guy who is very well, ex- you know, exceeds what it should be at a DH level numbers, who cares? It's a position we have in right. it. Yeah. Like th- those arguments, they just they bother the, me. The whole thing very good. It I'm with bothers you. me. Anyways, looking at Fred McGriff, uh, we're looking at a guy who played 19 years, uh, you know, at had 493 career homers had what I said before 56.9 pretty much 57% war or I keep saying percent I don't 57 know. <laughs> I don't know why either uh cuz percentage of votes here and yeah yeah whatever it's, um ended with about 57 career war um you know played for a lot of different teams had the longevity uh and you brought up a good point How, you know he didn't make it in on the writers uh ballot but he made it through the modern era. Had he had seven more homers in his career, had that 2004 year where at age of 40, he played 27 games and only hit two homers. Had he been able to play a little oh. bit, get those, those seven homers and been at 500 homers for his career, probably would have made it in through the writer's committee. Well, you got to remember 1994 was Fred McGriff's age 30 season. 1994 ended prematurely on a strike. Yeah. That is right, yeah. Fred McGriff was at 34 homers on sh- at the strike at the time of the strike at 113 games. He absolutely would have hit seven more home runs had they not gone on strike there had had that been resolved in some other way. So, penalizing Fred McGriff for the 1994 season is wildly outrageous to me and I think he he would have been elected had there been one fewer um crazy cases on the ballot uh, when he was, you know, fighting his case um, where he, you know, his, his time overlapped with Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and some of those guys, um, you know, had he had not had to face those guys. If, if Fred McGriff was on the ballot this year, I think he would have been in easily, but because his case was obscured by guys with more home runs and with, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. And, and it's tough to, to reason Fred McGriff because he was, definitely less good but he's also clean and 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 they care about that you know i i'll i will go over my ballot here in a second i don't really care about that because it's baseball you know if if, if we're if you're not you're not pushing the rules you're not trying you know but 
to be suspended for steroids maybe could be considered one thing, but Fred McGriff doesn't even have accusations, and he hit 500 home runs in the steroid era. Like, you know, I, I'm really glad that this has been kind of corrected, and I hope that future guys who were really good in the, the past couple of, of decades there, like Dave Steve and others, like Kenny Lofton, like Jim Edmonds, are able to kind of take this path to get in because this this committee has been doing a good job of rectifying mistakes made by the writers' committee. Uh, we've seen Tim Raines get in. Uh, via this, I think Lou Whitaker did get in from this, so it, it's really nice to to get this rectified. And now I hope they, you know, can go in and get more of the obvious Hall of Fame candidates elected to the Hall of Fame. You know that that we know deserve to be there, and, and it looks like some of these guys, like Jeff Kent, are going to have to go this way as well. You know, your Hall of Fame voting is broken when you have to make a secondary committee. Yeah. Of mostly players to have a second vote for people who didn't make it through the writer's ballot to potentially get into the hall of fame. Absolutely. You like, got guys, you got guys voting with, with blank ballots on this, va- on this boat or on this ballot, which was absolutely a ballot, you know, deserving of multiple votes. You've got guys voting like Francisco Rodriguez only, which yeah. look, I like Francisco Rodriguez. He's not even the best relief pitcher on this ballot. No. So he's got more saves than, than Billy Wagner, but Billy Wagner's a better relief pitcher. Like I, I, it's just frustrating to to see these guys. They they all vote with uh, not all of them, right? But a good chunk of them vote with ego in mind. And like right. they're the ones in power. And it's well, like that's not the point here. The point is you need to choose the best players to represent baseball in Cooperstown. And and they, they very rarely take that into consideration. So well, and, and not and not just that, but you have people who use, like for Billy Wagner's case, they use his 10 innings in the postseason where he has like a 10 ERA mm-hmm. to break his whole argument of a guy who in 903 career regular season has a 231 ERA and a 273 yep. FIP and has a, you know, 422 saves. Like the whole 10 innings in the postseason argument that has a 10 ERA, like that's why you're not voting for a guy like Billy Wagner. Who the hell cares, dude? Like it anyways. It's funny uh, because the the postseason postseason results are so fluky for relief pitchers, especially. Yeah. It it's based purely in two bad postseasons for Billy Wagner. Yeah. Uh, or I guess three bad postseason appearances for Billy Wagner. He's got other postseason appearances where he was locked down. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense. And he got I mean, he even had three saves in the two thousand six run for the Mets where they lost to the mm-hmm. Cardinals again. Um, but you know, it's, it's just frustrating that Billy Wagner is one of the best closers, you know, that I knew growing up, growing up rather. And, and, you know, he pitched for a long time. He's got a really good longevity as a closer. He came back in 2010 and, and was just, he had a 143 ERA and retired as a 38 year old. It's just insanity to me that, you know, we're we're having even a discussion on Billy Wagner. He feels like a lock, like a top five relief pitcher all time. In 15 seasons, Billy Wagner had an ERA over three one time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that, that was, was only in 28 games. He got hurt in 2000. Yeah. Exactly. That, that oh was in that gosh. one where he had a 618. Every <sighs> other year besides that, his highest ERA was 285. We we talk about relief pitchers a lot because of the you know the contract negotiations and stuff and and relief pitchers are so common in in getting contracts. One thing we always talk about is how volatile relief pitching is. Yeah, 
Billy Wagner was not volatile. He was no. a lock for a, a sub three ERA and a ton of strikeouts, yeah. at least a strikeout an inning, if not more, every single year he played. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's he doesn't get any credit for that, and, and it just stinks, man. No, he does. Um, so before we jump to the 2023 ballot, I know we've kind of just went about talking who got in and how stupid it is, but um, let's let David run through his ballot of who, you know, obviously we don't get an actual vote, but we make our, our mock ballots here. Mine and David's ballot are identical here. So I'll let him run through it and just know that's my exact same ballot and reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll lead off. we we, we both had Car- Scott Rowland, obviously. Um, we've talked about Todd Hilton. We've talked about Billy Wagner. We've talked about Jeff Kent. All four of those guys were in. Um, I've got Andrew Jones in, and I'll, I'll do a little bit on him. Andrew Jones, best defensive center fielder of, of all time to this point, and by the, by the numbers, and then he has 400-plus homers, which to me just – it doesn't matter. Like, it genuinely doesn't matter to me how long he played. Because that's what the a lot of the the citing that is not voting for Andrew Jones is seeing is that oh well he fell off after age thirty and he didn't really play as many years as Scott Rowland or some of these other guys. I do not care. He has the counting stats. He has the reputation. He's got the WAR. Put him in. Sixty-seven career WAR. Sixty-seven career WAR. It doesn't matter how long he played. He accumulated that much WAR, which is insane. I've got Bobby Abreu in because Bobby Abreu's career feels a lot like Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s, and we just elected Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I didn't have Bobby Abreu in when we had the, those other guys on the ballot, but because Vlad was so unanimous, I feel like you have to put Bobby Abreu in. He's a very similar player, very similar production. It just makes sense, not to mention he's he's really good, right? On base percentage, we, we laud it. Bobby Abreu is a master at getting on base, and he has a ton of stolen bases. We don't really you know value the stolen base very much. Bobby Abreu was a really, really good guy at getting stolen bases. I've got Carlos Beltran in despite the the last season, but one of the arguments that I, I've tended to make in these Hall of Fame arguments is if you remove the part that is questionable, right? For Carlos Beltran, it's that last season with Houston. Um, is he still a Hall of Famer? For Carlos Beltran, it's absolutely. Uh that's a guy with 70 career war who has gone to the postseason and been a postseason MVP multiple times. He's just a, a masterful hitter. He went from being a defensive minded center fielder to a power hitting DH at the end of his career. Um, Beltran's an easy one, uh, but the, the, the reputation is tarnished because of that late uh, thing. I, I think eventually he'll get in, but yeah. for now they're they've, it's too fresh in their minds, the voters yeah. minds. So um, I have He's Gary Sheffield. Got- he still almost got 50% of the votes. Right. He, I think he, I think his path is there because yeah. he's better. Like, I think the voters are just going to cut off the last couple of seasons for him. And then just, this is, that's it. Because, you know, we were, we know you were ring chasing and then, you know, we, yeah. Would you even, would you still be a hall of famer without 2017? I would say yes. So yeah. if, if, if enough voters figure that, then it'll, it'll come true. Gary Sheffield, I have being, in the Hall of Fame. He's coming up on his 10th year uh, on the ballot, which means he'll be off. Gary is one of the guys who was suspected for using steroids in the 90s, but this is a guy who has very similar numbers to Sammy Sosa, um, Fred McGriff, Mark McGuire, uh, a lot of those, the big home run hitters from the 90s and early 2000s. 
Gary, though, was able to do it while playing infield defense as well, which gives me just a little bit of an edge on him. But I was voting for Sammy last year as well. I, I just think these steroid guys are all members of the same club that are just never going to get in with this committee. And it's frustrating because David Ortiz is a, like David Ortiz has the same level of involvement in the steroid era as Gary Sheffield. He was on one report and David Ortiz waltzed into the hall of fame. Yeah. And, and that's part of my argument of the, the whole, why are we using one criteria against somebody and not against mm-hmm. everybody? And the old school Absolutely. voters who are very anti like steroid era type people where you see the more younger voters like, Hey, it was a part of the game. We all understand it, was... it. It was happening. Like we still need to acknowledge that era of the game happened and these were the best <clears throat> players during that era. And Sheffield definitely gets hurt in that era. Right. And and, and for when for Sheffield's time, he was never suspended for steroids after mm-hmm. steroids became illegal. And he was only implicated one time. Which is just you know, it, which it, it does in fact beat out these last two and and my so my, for my last two spots I mean that's how I fill out the ballot was those those guys went on first my last two spots I was between Mark Burley Tory Hunter K Rod Francisco Rodriguez Jimmy Rollins Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez those were my six for the last two spots and I chose the two guys who have been suspended for PED use, which is Manny Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. But I chose them because their numbers are indicative of the time that baseball had in those early 2000s. I cannot think of my childhood without, like, growing up watching baseball, playing baseball video games, Without you know, collecting baseball cards, without thinking of Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez, those were two of the guys that I would always draft in my fantasy drafts on like MLB The Show 2005. I would, you know, those are the guys that I was always, you know, rooting for in the playoffs for big moments. Um, you know, A Rod was the type of guy that you always kind of wanted to be because he was signing those huge contracts, and then he just he ended up wherever he wanted to go. You know, he's he signed a huge ten-year deal with the Rangers, and then turns around and goes to the Yankees anyway. And it's just, it, it, it was just a Manny was an antic guy. He was a fun guy to watch in the field. It's just a, you know, it, we know the the way it turned out, which is those guys were both suspended for PED use after their prime, long after their biggest impacts on baseball were recorded. Although in Manny's case, it was. His biggest his biggest impact to me in baseball was him the Dodgers beating the Cubs in the 2008 NLDS. Manny um, would Manny Manny went a berserk in that series, and um, it doesn't really matter anymore. But you know he was definitely probably on something. But it's like I, I, if we can find those, I'm going to find the the numbers for that. But it, those two are in for me, and it is it is close. But ultimately, I prefer to honor them with yeah. you know the Hall of Fame at this point. And I said it on last year's Hall of Fame episode when Matt and I did it. Um, one way I look at voting is throughout my eyes, at least, can I tell the game about the era without saying these guys' names, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about that, you know, early late 90s 
into the 2000s era right there you start the conversation with Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they are two of the biggest names here. And, and one thing that um, it, it's kind of mind boggling. If you say 70 win player, 70 war player, that, that should be a surefire hall of famer, right? Right around there is what people are, are, mm-hmm. are says the number. If you add in, if you look at Alex Rodriguez's career war, it's one 13.7. So let's round up to 114, right? If you take the average 70 war for a Hall of Fame player away, he still has 44 career right. war there. Would you want to guess what a person on this ballot who we just said a Hall of Very Good has less career war than that? That or, or right around the same career war? Was it Tory Hunter or Jimmy Tory, Rollins? Tory Hunter has yeah. forty three career war. Yeah, Th- those guys. I, yeah. I don't care about the PEDs here. That with Alex Rodriguez because he's a no doubt a Hall of Famer regardless. Right. If you can take the average Hall of Fame war number there, subtract it, and still have a guy who should be Hall of Very Good. Right. There's no way that the steroid part of him in the later part of his career added that much of the value there. right you, you can take away an entire player on this ballot away from the stats of alex rodriguez and put him into the hall of fame anyway as exactly more. like you, you and here's just some some stats for for manny and i'll also add some stats for a rod uh, Manny ramirez has the last 165 rbi season and i think he's got the the biggest rbi season since like 1930 um, by anybody, RBI, obviously just a fluky stat, but Manny Ramirez playing on that 1999 Cleveland offense with Jim Tomei and um, some of those other guys that are, I think, also Hall of Famers, Kenny Lofton, Roberto Alomar, Omar Vizquel, Jim, uh, Just, David Justice. Uh, he ends up with 165 RBIs that season. That's the most since 1930. So that's a massive stat. And then also he has a 500 on uh, batting average in – or he had a 500 batting average in the 2008 playoffs with the Dodgers, uh, 520, 667, 1080 as a 36 year old when he pretty much single handedly eliminated the Cubs uh, from playoff contention. So, you know, th- this is a guy who was really good for a really long time, even though he was not a defensive minded player. He was a guy who could get up into the, you know, 180 WRC plus and. Uh, was routinely a 30 to 40 home run hitter and won a world series with Boston, took Boston obviously to the, to break the curse. So I, you know, he's the kind of guy I, I just, I view as a hall of famer and I kind of always have. And then a rod is a, is a very similar way. I think he was the first rookie player to have, he had like a Troutian rookie season at age 20. I think it was his first rookie season. He had the most extra base hits of any, 20 year old of all time in in his first season 1996 as a, as a 20 year old yeah and then both of those i mean absolutely yeah it it, it mind boggles me that that people i mean i understand these the steroid argument there but it, it's mm-hmm. just boggling that they don't have you know more than 40 percent of the vote i mean either one of them they're at 35 and 37 on this ballot like yeah it's just, it's mind boggling, but 
anyways, before we wrap it up, um, you know, let's look forward towards the 2024 ballot, which sees probably another handful of, you know, hall of famers and RIs adding to this ballot. Yeah, let's, let's look. So the, the only guy who fell off was Jeff Kent among guys who have the 10th year. And then the guys who were 5%ed off was every single first vote, first time vote getter, except for Francisco Rodriguez and uh, Carlos Beltran. So there will be a lot of spaces to add more guys. And the first and probably, I would say, Hall of Fame lock is Adrian Beltre. And this is exciting because getting to talk about Adrian Beltre is fantastic. He was fun to watch his whole career. And this is a dude who played for a long time. And, you know, you just elected Scott Rowland. So, I mean, Adrian Beltre is a, kind of inarguably a better player than Scott Rowland in total. But, you know, he was he was around forever. And that's a dude who was extremely talented, great defender at third base, was able to play it his whole career and uh, went to the World Series a few times but didn't actually win it. He was always good in the playoffs. I, I, I love Adrian Beltre. Still not over the Dodgers trading him in 2005. Right. And he went to the Mariners after that, too. And yeah. he, he kind of revitalized his career in Texas. I think of Texas Adrian Beltre, but he hit, what, 48 homers in 2004. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second uh, guy that you're going to know, Joe Maurer, uh, getting Hall of Fame votes next year. And I, I think I think you got it. You're going to have to elect Maurer. Um because eventually Yadier Molina is going to be on this ballot and people are, they're going to elect him first ballot. If Joe Maurer doesn't get elected first ballot and then Yadier Molina does, I'm going to be very angry. <laughs> like I'll be angry if when Molina gets elected anyway, but I'll be like, you know, I, you know, I yeah. get it. I'll be less angry if Maurer gets in right now because you're telling me elite catching is good. Joe Maurer was an elite catcher, although he didn't play as long as Yadier Molina. Yeah, Joe Maurer's by far one of my favorite players of all time. And I I mean, I have a little bit of bias, but but the way that he was able to play the catcher position for so long, and even he dealt with, I think he dealt with some concussions later on in his career. Yeah, he, he got um, injured out. He, he could have gotten a little bit more. Yeah. He probably could have gotten to 60 war. It's just. Yeah, I mean, he did concussions and he had to play a little bit of first base um, mm-hmm. for what, most of his last couple seasons even. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he had. 100% should be in on my eyes, but that is a lot of uh, biasy as well. He's one of the final players, I think, that's going to enter the Hall of Fame ballot with a 300 batting average. I don't think you're going to see very many guys getting here with a 300 batting average anymore. Um, I yeah. think Pujols fell below. Oh, he might have gotten back with... above. Um, um, but then you're also going to, like, Trout's not at 300 batting average. Like, you know. Pujols is below. He's 296. Right, yeah. So... I was trying to think of other guys who might have 300 batting average, but it's very rare at this point to have a 300 batting average. And, and Maurer was at 306. Yeah. Uh, also adding to the ballot, Chase Utley. He'll be a, a very interesting case, I think, because he's got the war. He's probably got the pedigree as well, but does he have the impact is my question. You know, he's going to have it based on his defensive value at second base, but then you just didn't elect Jeff Kent, who was a better second baseman than Chase Utley in terms of offense. But he obviously wasn't as good defensively. So what you're telling us, you needed to be really well-rounded second baseman. That's going to be a bit confusing. And and another thing that is sort of kind of a comparison between Utley and Kent as well is Utley was very brash with the media. Yep. Which you got to remember, these are writers at the end of the day that who decide the fate here. 
he was very brash there. But for what it's worth is he does uh, have more war than Jeff Kenton. He's at right. 61.6, um, which that's been a big argument the last few years. More war, but fewer number. homers. And, and Utley is only a 117 OPS plus, WRC plus type of guy. So, you know, but a lot of that comes from his, the last his, down, yeah, his down last few years. Uh, and, and again, this is where I, I do wonder why are we so insistent on – promoting longevity when obviously when these guys are a lot of these guys fall off late in their careers give me Damn. your peak let me see what your peak is right let's see what your best years have chase Utley's best years he was you know the best <laughs> second baseman in baseball so yeah yeah he's definitely seven season he, right he's definitely a very good candidate i think next season a, go, a good one that'll be talked about because you'll be lumping him in there with todd help and you know mm-hmm. he's obviously going to I think he'll be higher up on people's minds than Jimmy Rollins. So in terms of middle infield, David Wright is also going to be available or eligible next year and talk about a career that I think, I think Wright, if Wright had been able to play like three more full seasons, maybe even just two more full seasons, he'd be in. But as it stands, I think Wright will not, he won't get in next year. I don't even know if he'll get 5% of the votes. Yeah. Cause the, 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 it's been so long since people saw a really good David Wright. Yeah. And, and the, the matter that's going to hurt him too, is that the ballot's going to have so many people on it mm-hmm. that he'll get a couple courtesy votes probably, but it's very hard to see, you know, with as many people on that ballot that should be getting the votes to have him above the 5% threshold, let yep. alone, you know, he's going to stay on the ballot with a lot of these people for a lot of the time. Um, being able to ever get to that Hall of Fame mark, um, you know, without the longevity, without the counting stats because of that, and just the overall, you know, look at the war, who's just about 51 um, or is 51.2. It's yeah. going to be very hard to see him have the case, even though, you know, like you mentioned, that peak of David Wright, those what, four or five years mm-hmm. between 2005, basically through 2010 and was just very elite level. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Yeah. Also on the ballot next year will be Bartolo Colon, uh, who won a Cy Young, I think two thousand two or two thousand five, one of those. Uh, but he pitched forever, and he'll he'll have that longevity case. But I I honestly don't think there's any way you can elect Bartolo to the Hall of Fame. Hall of Hall of very good, sure, but he's he just he didn't have that that impact that you want to see out of some of these hall of fame guys, but everybody loves Bartolo. So he'll definitely get some votes. He 100% should be in just for hitting the Homer off James Shields. <laughs> yep. He's got the Homer, the greatest Bartolo Colon he, memory of all. He time. would likely be the worst hitting hall of famer in, in the hall of fame, like <laughs> all pitchers included. Yeah. Um, His whole case is the longevity because I mean, if you look at the counting stats, 51 career war, a four twelve ERA, a four fifteen FIP, like, yeah. He's he's revered for being you know, big sexy for, you know, the longevity for being the guy who kind of later on in his career became more of a meme player than anything than right. being good actually. Um but yeah, it's very gonna be very, very hard to see him having a legitimate case. He'll probably not even be he'll probably be five percent off, to be honest. Yeah. You'll look at Mark Burley struggling to stay on. Andy Pettit struggling to stay on. I think both of those guys were more impactful pitchers with better longevity cases than Bartolo. I think Bartolo is also one of the guys who's on a steroid list. Um, yeah. 
And then he he's mentioned. also he's also not he you know we he we joke about him having like a second family or something. I don't think he's a great guy off the field either. But again, it's all about reputation in the media, and Bartolo has that going for him. So um, yeah, he's other guys get in for that. Utley <laughs> and Kent aren't right. Uh, other guys on here: Matt Holiday, uh, son just got drafted first overall. Holiday will now be on the Hall of Fame ballot. Good player for the Cardinals and Rockies. DH. I, I, Matt Holiday's offensive stats are there, but I don't know that his overall reputation is good enough to get him through. Um, he's a guy who hit better than you remember, but didn't. He was a DH for his whole the whole second half of his career, so the war numbers will never be there. But I mean, he was a better hitter than Scott Rowland, for example. Yeah, and people are going to penalize his Coors Field numbers hmm. against him, and if we're having Todd Helton struggle. I mean, even though when you really think about it, he played more years outside of Coors than he did in Coors, right. which is really mind-boggling to think about because I just remember Matt Holiday terrorizing the Dodgers on, on the Rockies every right. single year. Yeah. Um, but he played more years in St. Louis than he did in Colorado. God, I is, hated Matt Holiday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really mind-boggling. But he's one of those that kind of just fall into the Hall of Very Good argument. Right. I, I do feel like Holiday's a Hall of Very Good guy, but – you could you could talk me into putting Holiday in the Hall of Fame. He's he's one of those last great contact contact and power hitters, um, where we're seeing more guys who hit for power never really have that that contact yeah. capability that Holiday had. Um, just a couple more names here before we sign off. Adrian Gonzalez, Dodgers legend. <sighs> he really fell off though once he had gotten to the Dodgers. He was probably on a Hall of Fame trajectory when he was in San Diego, but. After he went to the Red Sox, man, I just feel like he he was never the same. Uh, this is a guy who's got lesser numbers than Albert or, uh, than Todd Helton across the board. Uh, if you're getting if you're, if Todd Helton's struggling, I, I think Adrian Gonzalez will be five percent off. Oh, he he will be probably. Um, you know, thirty six career war. He was probably if you remember Adrian Gonzalez, you probably think he's better than what the numbers say. Um, you know. 287 average over 300 career homers. I remembered him more as a better defensive first baseman than what the numbers say. Um, first base is just gets it penalized. Yeah. War, war is a bad ranking for guys like Matt holiday, Adrian Gonzalez, and the next guy we're going to talk about. It just doesn't work for them. Yeah. We just need to look at their impact. Adrian Gonzalez definitely had that impact early in his career, but later on he was just, he felt like a, a kind of the thing that was slowing the Dodgers down coming down to the end of his career. Like, especially when you were, when I think about like the 2016 NLCS, Adrian Gonzalez got thrown out at the plate at one point in that series. And it's like anybody else with a little more athleticism might get that run across yeah. and it might change the dynamic of that series. So, you know, I, that's just how I remember Adrian Gonzalez, but I do remember those, those Padres years where he was hitting 40 homers in pitcher friendly Petco where Jake Peavy was going off. So, um, you know, had he played anywhere else, he might be at 350 homers, and then we're talking about something else. So, lastly, lastly, uh, the last name I'll, I'll call, I'll, I'll give you the the rundown after. But Jose Bautista is going to be on the ballot next year too, and I, I'm a big fan of Jose Bautista. He's going to get five percent off, but man, his peak, his peak numbers were higher than his career WAR. Which is it tells you everything about Jose Bautista. He's got a great story. He came from you know 
being bounced around, miss, missing a bunch of teams to, you know, being an MVP level player. I think he might have won MVP actually. 2010, I think, right? Nope, he never he didn't win it either year. No. But he was a five time six time All Star. You can't tell the story of the early twenty tens without him. He was hitting fifty homers and making those huge swing changes and kind of changing the, the way you approach slugging in your mid twenties. But every other year around his prime, he was just completely miserable as a player. And it's it's disappointing because his if he had played his entire career like he played his prime, this is a surefire, no doubt, Hall of Famer. But as it is, this is a peak performance guy, kind of almost like kind of reminds me of Corey Kluber in that he's got a, a peak that is just so memorable, but he doesn't have any longevity around it. He doesn't have any performance around it. It's, it's very difficult to build a case for him. But man, that peak was fun. It was a lot of fun to watch when he was hitting – Tanks and Roger Center with mm-hmm. him and Edwin and Carnacion back to back. Yep, he's um, got he's got the most he's got the most famous home run of all time too. And it's the whole uh, you know thing behind our logo. I mean, right. Jose Batista bat flip throw right there. That is the basis of our logo for this show. So we will always remember Jose Batista for sure. Yep, we'll be uh, we'll we'll be rooting him on for sure. I I do hope he gets in. I it's he won't, right? But He's I will be cheering for him for sure. I just hope he doesn't get 5% off the first right, year. Right. Right. Let's at least talk about him, you know? Very I, much. But I just how are you going to 5% not 5% off Jose Bautista when you 5% yeah. it off Jim Edmonds, Kenny Lofton, yeah. Hohan Santana. Like guys yeah. with better peaks and with better longevity than Jose. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Also that will be on the ballot, Jose Reyes. Victor Martinez, James Shields, Brandon Phillips, um, maybe some other guys that might get recognized like Ryan Madsen or Jim Johnson, but really it's just those couple of guys. So I think next year should be entertaining because I think we will once again have more than 10 Hall of Fame caliber players for just the 10 spots. And then we'll see baseball writers voting for nobody. Can't wait. Yeah, I mean, what we're going to have only two people that are probably worthy Hall of Famers being off this ballot. I mean, obviously, with Roland getting in and Kent falling off. I mean, and then you're adding, what I said, another handful of names. So I swear when I see blank ballots next year, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, I mean, you, you just, you got to, these, these are Hall of Fame players. I think we've got a, a good opportunity maybe to get Helton and Wagner in, really cheering for Wagner. Um, yeah. You know, and then obviously Beltran and Maurer. I mean, they could elect four guys next year. I, I think there's an outside shot at that. Elect 10 challenge. <laughs> they no. should. It's not going to happen. But, uh, you know, we went a lot longer than what we uh, were talking about beforehand. Um, but I think it was some good Hall of Fame talk here. Um, you know, we will be back, I believe, next week with a full on our actual rundown of, of actual moves. Um, and we might get a little bit of Matt's um, feelings on the Hall of Fame voting and what it looked like from there. But uh, before we finally sign off on anything else you want to wrap up on, David? Nope. I'm good. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, Yep. I'm going to end it with Hall of Fame voting is stupid.